right, 2 Kings. 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings chapter 5. I'll be a little bit tedious and read like 19 verses to get this story in. How many remembers the old TV show from years ago called Regents Fieldman's Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous? All right, well, we have a title of a sermon that's uh, similar to that title. All right, 2 Kings chapter 5, now verse 1. Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and honorable because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. All right, now, God Almighty is over the kingdoms of this earth. He is ultimately the one in charge. And that's hard to remember sometimes when we see just how crooked and corrupt human governments are. Man, are they corrupt? Amen. Is it not unbelievable? The Bible is not exaggerating when it says he sets over it the basest of men. But don't ever let your disdain for politicians, and believe me, you have every right to have disdain for them because they are base, low-life people. But don't ever let that make you forget that God is in control yes. and he turns things which way he wants it to go. Amen. So Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man. There were some great men up in some positions of power, too. And notice the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that's the God of the universe, had deli given deliverance unto Syria. But the rest of the verse says he was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. I don't care what a high-value man you are, and we've got some here at Victory Baptist Church. We're blessed. We've got what what the, in some circles they would call some high-value men in here, some high-value ladies. we got some people that are intelligent, they're hard-working, they're morally clean for the most part. None of us are perfect, but they're morally clean. They're, I mean, they're top shelves, especially in this messed-up, corrupted day. <laughs> but we got some good people here. But let me tell you what you, you all have, including me and everybody. you got some bad drawbacks. And leprosy is a bad drawback. Amen. Verse 2. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid, and she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, Would God my Lord were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. And one went in and told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus said the maid that is of the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go to, go, and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he departed and took with him ten talents of silver and six thousand pieces of gold and ten changes of raiment. I mean, he meant business. He wanted to get better. He spent some money. He talked to the king. Let me tell you something. There are a number of the maladies of life that the king and no amount of riches can help you with. <laughs> Now, I'm all for working hard and earning riches and providing well for your family. That's a good thing, not a bad thing. Amen. But when it comes to sin in your life, when it comes to physical sickness, riches can't necessarily help you. Verse 6, and, he brought, and the king can't necessarily help you. 
verse 6, And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, Now when this letter is come unto thee, behold, I have therewith sent Naaman my servant to thee, that thou mayest recover him of his leprosy. <laughs> How would you like somebody to come to you wanting to be cured of their cancer? <laughs> I mean, the best doctor you got can't necessarily cure cancer. Now, if they catch it early enough and give you plenty of good vitamin B17 and whatever their particular uh, remedy is that they believe in, you know, they might stop it in some cases. But there are plenty of cases, man, they just can't help you. Amen. Verse 7, it came to pass when the king of Israel had read the letter that he rent his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man doth send unto me to recover a man of his leprosy? Wherefore, consider, I pray you, and see how he seeketh a quarrel against me. Notice the truth that he gives in this verse when he asks this question, Am I God? You know what everybody admits? There are some things, or if they're an honest person, they admit this, there are some things that only God can do. Amen. Let me tell you what you better have in your life in 2024. God. Because you got some problems only he can cure. Mm -hmm. I appreciate your confidence in me. God bless you for it. But let me tell you something. The arm of flesh will fail you, and all I got is an arm of flesh. God Almighty has got some arms that can help you. We just sang a song about the everlasting arms. I don't have those. He does. Amen. You better put your trust in him. That is so interesting that the king of Israel, not exactly in fellowship with the Lord by any means, knows enough in a moment of great honesty and clarity to say, Am I God? I can't help this. You ever look at the condition of the United States of America today and our families and our men and our women and our, and our finances and our economy and say, I can't fix this. Yeah, it's a little over our head. We're going to have to get a hold of God. Amen. Verse 8, And it was so when Elisha, the man of God, had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him come now to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. Isn't that something? The king rent his clothes and said, why in the world would he think I can do this? And Elisha, who didn't even get the letter, just heard about it and invited him, said, come on to me, I can handle this. Now, at the risk of sounding like I'm bragging, let me tell you, you can go to the best doctor in the world with a million dollars a minute to pay him for his time, and he cannot tell you how to have eternal life through any of his medicinal training. Amen. But you come to me living in a trailer on a mountaintop in Tennessee, and I can tell you how to have eternal life. Come see me. And live forever. And just like Elisha didn't have the power in his own self, but got it from God, I don't have the power in my own self to give you eternal life, but I can tell you how you can get it. Amen. Verse 9, So Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. <laughs> I'm pretty sure the house of Elisha was not sufficient 
to warrant many visits along these lines. <laughs> with the horses and the chariot and the captain of the host of the king of Syria. Verse 10, And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Elisha doesn't even quit watching the ball game on his TV. He just sends his, his little boy to go tell him where to go get baptized. <laughs> I'm, I'm taking a little liberty with the text here. But, <laughs> I mean, Elisha doesn't even look up from his bologna and cheese sandwich. He just tells him, yeah, uh, leprosy, yeah, that's our light work. Just go dip, just go dip in the river. <laughs> that is not how the captain of the host of the king of Syria is used to being handled. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. <laughs> oh, that made Naaman mad. You want to make somebody mad? Just let them perceive that you have in some way disrespected them. <laughs> Especially somebody that's used to always having their way. Verse 11. But Naaman was wroth and went away and said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me. I thought at least he'd come out here. <laughs> uh, and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. When God starts dealing with you, let me tell you one of the reactions that you will have. Boy, I hate to say it. Rage. <laughs> he will let some things disrespect you to just test and see how you'll take it. And when you have not yet submitted to his will for your life, let me tell you one of the manifestations of that. You will have some anger issues. <laughs> I hate to talk about this right now. <laughs> but he did. Verse 13, And his servants came near. Notice who's willing to reason with him. The ones that aren't the king. The ones that aren't the captain of the host. The ones that aren't the five-star general. They're the servants. And his servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee do some great thing, wouldest thou not have done it? How much rather then when he saith to thee, Wash and be clean. I mean, you got to admit, they have sound reasoning. <laughs> if... He would have told him that he had to put out great effort and spend a lot of time and money on it. He would have done it to be healed from his leprosy. How much more when all he has to do is wash it off? And the simple truth of his servants gets to him. Verse 14, Then went he down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God in his flesh, came again like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Do you remember that day you got saved? And it didn't cost you any money? And you didn't have to put out great effort? You just trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, and he saved your soul, and his blood washed your sins away, and you were clean! 
Don't you wish you would have understood years earlier just how simple it was? Just wash and be clean. Simply trust. And then after you got saved, just trust. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Now, yes, the devil will throw some things your way. Yes, life will get complicated from time to time. But it sure does you good when you get your bearings back and just trust and obey. Simply trusting every day. Trusting through a thorny way. Even when my faith is small, trusting Jesus, that is all. Boy, it's good when you just get back to these simple things that a servant or a child can tell you. Verse 15, And he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and came and stood before him. And he said, Behold, now I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Now therefore I pray thee, Take a blessing of thy servant. A minute ago, he was mad. He was wroth. He turned away in a rage. And now he's going back to that same guy that didn't even take a minute to even come out to him and greet him face to face and saying, you and your God are right. Let me lay a big old blessing on you. Huge repentance. When God does a work in your life, you don't have any problem with the doctrine of repentance. Amen. There are some people, as soon as you say the word repent, they start getting a burr under their saddle. They're just afraid you understand it a little differently than them. Listen, if you love the Lord Jesus Christ and he turned your life around, you're tickled to death to talk about repentance. Yes. You will go from anger to love in a moment's time. God knows what to bring about to adjust your attitude. Yes, sir. Have you ever gone through a time in your life where you was just on edge and nervous and tense and ready to fight at the drop of a hat? Most of us have in this stressed out world. Wasn't it good when God Almighty just calmed everything and all of a sudden you was all ready to get along? <laughs> I bet he sent a trial in your life that turned you upside down and you was tired of fighting. Verse 16, But he said, As the Lord liveth before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. And Naaman said, Shall there not then, I pray thee, be given to thy servant two mules' burden of earth? For thy servant will henceforth offer neither burnt offering nor sacrifice unto other gods, but unto the Lord. He said, I mean, earlier he loved Syria. You know, Syria is a great country. Syria is important in the Bible. Amen. Um, here we have Naaman being healed and being converted to the God of Israel. In the New Testament, when Jesus was doing his miracles, it says these exact words, and his fame went throughout all Syria. And when it comes time for the New Testament Pauline church, guess where their capital was? Antioch, Syria. Syria is a great country, but it's not Israel. It's not God's chosen and when he came, he came with pride in his country. They had apparently just defeated Israel, and he had taken a little little girl slave, a little maid. Uh, and so when they told him to dip in rivers in Israel, he said, well, we got better water in Syria. But after being healed of his leprosy, he said, man, just dig up some of this dirt. Let me take it back to Syria. I believe in this place now. That is repentance, buddy. Amen. Good point. Verse 18. In this thing, the Lord pardon thy servant, that when my master goeth into the house of Rimmon to worship there, 
and he leaneth on my hand, and I bow myself in the house of Rimmon. When I bow down myself in the house of Rimmon, the Lord pardoned my servant in this thing. He says, now my, my master, now he's over me, and he, he has a different religion. The Lord pardoned because I have to hold him up. Poor guy's getting old and feeble. But that ain't me. I'm worshiping the God of Israel. Verse 19, and he said unto him, go in peace. So he departed from him a little way. All right, I want to preach this morning on limitations of the great and valorous. All right, Naaman was great and valorous, but he had some limitations. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray you reveal to us some great truths. Dear God, we need to understand in our day, even those of us that have some things on the ball, and you've blessed us with some, with some abilities, and you've blessed us with some things that maybe some other people don't have, certainly in this land of freedom and plenty. We have some blessings, but God, I pray we'd also remember we got some weaknesses and lean on you and only you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I want to say this morning that in several important ways, honorable men are equal to lesser men in God's eyes. Yeah, I thank God that you're saved. I thank God that you're a good hard worker. I thank God that you provide well for your family. I thank God that you're honest and have some integrity and some morals. Praise the Lord for all that. But a holy, almighty, eternal God looking down at you still sees a lot that you have in common with the lower classes. <laughs> we'll just say it that way. Matthew 5, 45, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. Ecclesiastes 2, wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walketh in darkness, and I myself perceived also that one event happeneth to them all. Then said I in my heart, as it happeneth to the fool, so it happeneth even to me, and why was I then more wise? Then said I in my heart that this also is vanity. I returned and saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, neither yet bread to the wise, nor yet riches to men of understanding, nor yet favor to men of skill, but time and chance happeneth to them all. There are some ways that we are all very much equal to one another. And one of them is in our need for God. I don't care how righteous you are. I don't care how moral you are. I don't care how ethical and legal you are. You need God. Now, I want to emphasize the equality of men in this message. Now, I know it's misapplied and mistaken and misunderstood and talked about all the time by those that are liberals and modernists, but there is some truth to it. As with all falsehoods, it's based on some truth. Now, two important subjects of truths must be remembered when we preach these things. Number one, that honorable, valorous men are not equal to dishonorable men in every respect. I'll guarantee you it'd be better for the young ladies if they find them an honorable man rather than a dishonorable man. Amen. It'd be better for children if their daddies are honorable men rather than dishonorable men. I'm all for some honorable men. Thank God for them. Thank God we got some here in Victory Baptist Church. But let me tell you something. Before a holy, righteous, eternal, all-powerful God, there are some things that you're still far short on. <coughs> Secondly that rich, outwardly dignified people are not necessarily honorable. There are plenty of people that can put on a good suit and a good pair of wire-rimmed glasses and look the part. And there's some people not dressed nearly as well that are more honorable on the inside than the person that looks the part oh, on yes, the outside. Sir. 
I started to say some stereotypical things that are not, you know, in overalls and barefoot and stuff like that. There, but there are some people like that that have more honor on the inside in their mind and heart oh, yeah, than yeah. some of the people that are. All right, so the first thing I want to say about the honorable and the great and valorous is they are not exempt from life's calamities. All of his discipline, all of his study, all of his experience, I promise you, if he's the five-star general of a great nation like Syria, he put some study in. He put some exercise in. He had disciplined himself. He had some experience. He had some power. He had earned some money. He had some respect. And yet... That didn't do one bit of good for his leprosy. Leprosy was going to kill him just like it would somebody that had never done anything with their lives. Let me tell you about sin. It is an equal opportunity afflictor. Yes, it is. If you are top shelf, top of the line, best lady in Cumberland County or best gentleman in Cumberland County, and you let sin in your life, it'll wreck you and your family just like it will somebody that's not nearly on your class. Amen. And we know of story after story like that, don't we? Yeah. Of course, the best example is death itself. You tell me one top shelf person that didn't eventually die. <laughs> I mean, it is appointed unto men once to die. That is a great equalizer, is it not? Sin nature, that's an equalizer. Deceitful heart, that's an equalizer. The Bible says, let God be true and every man a liar, doesn't it? Uh, physical limits, all bind men together. Just because you're top shelf doesn't mean you're exempt from life's calamities. Number two, their life sometimes hinges on seemingly insignificant Events. Look at chapter 5 here in 2 Kings, verse 2. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid, and she waited on Naaman's wife. Now you know the horrors of war, especially back in those days, but they're pretty bad even in our day, aren't they? From time to time you go in, you kill a bunch of people, and there's children are orphaned. And here's a little child and no parents now. And somebody has to do something with these children. Maybe that was the case here. But for some reason, what is essentially a little girl is taken as a, basically a household servant for Naaman and his wife. Now, this was not unusual. If he has been in the military long enough to be captain of the host, I'm sure they'd gone out before and killed a bunch of people. And I'm sure there had been children orphaned before. That happened commonly in those places where there was war. This is not a terribly unusual, insignificant, or, or, or significant event. But, boy, it sure made a difference this time, didn't it? If it would have been most anybody else, they wouldn't have helped. The taking captive of a slave girl seems like a small thing to Naaman at the time of the capture. Little did he know it was going to lead to his life being saved. Small thing. Listen, Christian. You don't know what difference you might make just saying something for the Lord to somebody that needs to hear it. Just leave a gospel track somewhere. Just say the Lord Jesus. 
just hold up a Bible on a street corner when we go preaching. Just tell somebody you're praying for them and you care about them. There are a lot of people in this lonely day that never hear that. Just say their name in prayer. Just say their name in some positive way. When they've had disappointment and sadness and broken heart time after time, you don't know what a small... Just as you don't know what trouble you can cause just by some unadvised words, behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth, likewise you don't know what good you can do with just a small thing, just a small show of kindness. They can have a far-reaching impact, especially when you plant that seed in the mind of a child. The great and valorous also find out that their life sometimes hinges on seemingly insignificant things. I'll tell you another thing about the great and valorous. Youth and inexperience can still teach them. Now, if you would have asked me, all right, here is Naaman, the captain of the host of the king of Syria, and here's a little slave girl, which one is going to help the other? <laughs> I would have said, well, obviously the guy. The guy that's the captain of the host, he can go talk to the king for her. He can get her whatever she wants. He can put a bunch of money on her. He can set her free. I mean, I don't know what all things he can do for her. But lo and behold, the little girl that knew about God's prophet did something for him that he and the king and five kings couldn't have done for him. Look out as you ascend in life making more money and having more prestige and having more respect and having more people under your leadership. Look out for pride. There are still people way below you that understand some things you don't have any clue about. Don't look down on younger people. Men, don't look down at women. There are some understanding that they have that you could use. Pastors, don't look down at church people. Saved people, don't look down at lost people. Does not the Bible say the people of this world sometimes are wiser than the children of light? Oh, yeah. There are some things you can learn and don't misunderstand. I'm not saying to follow them. You keep your nose in a Bible. I was talking to the young people about the importance of the wisdom of the Word of God in the book of Proverbs. Let me tell you something. We've all got some blind spots. Yes, we do. Youth and inexperience can still teach. As visual media increases its influence and church revivals get shorter and less frequent, even Christian children don't know a prophet as well as they know a singer or an actor or a politician or an athlete, etc. There was a day in this country where Christian kids knew the preacher, knew the Bible lessons, knew the Bible verses, knew the principles of the Word of God, and it is becoming less and less true, I am sorry to say, and yet they can tell you. I was listening to a podcast for something not long ago, and they started listing the names of some famous, powerful people in our day. I don't even know who they are. I have lost track. Our young people know them. They sure do. Let me tell you something. It is important that you teach children so they'll know God's word and God's men. You don't know when you may be taken from your children. 
be sure they know as much as possible what you know. Tragedies do happen. I am sure glad that when this little girl probably was orphaned, I'm guessing that's what happened, I am sure glad that her mom and daddy had taught her about the prophet that was in Samaria. And I bet Naaman is glad of it too. Teach children. Preach to children by both word and example and motivate them to live right and speak up for God. Hey, not only had she been taught about the prophet in Samaria, she knew to say something about him. I'm afraid here in the Bible Belt we got some people that know about the prophet of God and they never mention him. That's a problem. Yes, it is. All right, I'll tell you something else about the uh, limitations of the great and valorous. They still need contact from those who know God for blessing. How could we estimate the blessing this maid was to Naaman and his family? Listen, you can be a blessing to this world. You've got a spirit in you that can bless people. Don't cover it up with deception, dishonesty, anger, lust, whatever your sin of choice is. Let the Word of God and the Spirit of God show through you. This little light of mine... I'm going to let it shine. You know what Laban said to Jacob? I have learned by experience that the Lord hath blessed me for thy sake. Not only was Jacob a blessing to Laban, Joseph was a blessing to Potiphar and the keeper of the prison and to the king of Egypt. Amen. You can be a blessing out in the highways and byways of life. Many are weary and sad. Carry the sunshine where darkness is rife, making the sorrowing glad. Make me a blessing, O Savior, I pray. Make me a blessing to someone today. Did you know that's a happier life than having a million bucks? Oh, yes. There are millionaires that are on psychiatrist's couches every week trying to get some help for all their problems. And you'll have more happiness knowing that you're a blessing to the people around you than you will by any other means. And the best blessing you can ever be to people is have the Holy Spirit of God and the Lord Jesus Christ in your life and share Him with others. All right, here's another thing I notice about the great and valorous. Knowledge of God's Word must be humbly accepted. <laughs> Naaman, and I understand why, it's what he was used to. He was used to being around the king. He was used to being the big cheese. So he thought... Here he comes with this big procedure, big pro, uh, procession, I mean, from the king of Syria to the prophet, that the king of Israel, the connection had been made, and he thought surely he'll come out and say, O Naaman, thou great five-star general, we now are going to give you the riches of Israel and our ability to heal you from your disease. No. That's not the way God works. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 1 these words, that no flesh should glory in his presence. Amen. If you want help from God, let me tell you how you'll get it. On your knees. Amen. Humble. Admitting you're a sinner, you're wrong, and he's right. You're low, and he's high. He that humbleth himself shall be exalted. He that exalteth himself shall be abased. That's what it says. Dr. Ruckman used to say, the way up is the way down. <laughs> Isn't that true? And sure enough, 
When Naaman showed up looking for all those proud things, all it did was make him turn around and leave mad. Only by pride cometh contention. You know when you'll get mad and get in a fight with somebody? When you think they've disrespected you. You know when you can't possibly fight with somebody? When you don't think you deserve any respect. <laughs> the humbler you are, the less you want to fight. Good point. Let's say big old Dustin and big old Sean there decided they was going to throw me out that window. Yeah, I wouldn't be a bit mad because there ain't nothing I can do about it. <laughs> if I made them mad, they said they were going to throw me out that window, I'd just say, well, see you outside. <laughs> I mean, I can't do anything about it. When you realize you're weak, I am weak, but he is strong, you're not all ready to get mad and fight and defend yourself and all that foolishness. You're ready to take it humbly. If Naaman had despised and ignored the maid's instruction, he would have lived and died a leper. God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. It was a donkey that was used to rebuke the prophet Balaam, wasn't it? The sluggard is referred to what? The ant. Even, I'm talking about if you're going to a sluggard, a sorry, low-down person, you don't even go in pride. And they're not going to get any help from pride. You know what he says? He says, go to the ant, thou sluggard. <laughs> you're laying down there in the dirt, too sorry to even roll over. Well, while you're down there, look at the ants. They're working harder than you. <laughs> Listen, the Lord helps you in, with humility. The anxious are referred to the lilies and the birds. <laughs> Isn't that something? Knowledge of God's word must be humbly accepted. And when the word of God was given to him that would heal him, he had to take it humbly. And his servants had to come and reason with him and say, look, if you'd have told me to do something great, you'd have done it. How much would you just said, wash it off, man? <laughs> when you get the word of God, receive it humbly. Don't think you're above it. Don't think you're above Nobody's above the word of God. The Lord has exalted his word above his name. Amen. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, and yet the word is even higher than that. Amen. Another thing I notice about the limitations of the great valorous people is that knowledge is only helpful when obeyed. If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. I'm in a Bible-believing Baptist church. Your problem is not that you don't know things. You, some of you have been in good Bible-believing Baptist churches for years and years and years, decades. There's not much of anything you don't know. Hey, I want to ask you this. Are you doing it? <laughs> You don't need to learn anymore. You probably know too much. Somebody need to get more active. What if Naaman had listened humbly? Just like this point that I just gave you. And he was very humble and he wasn't proud and he had received the word of God faithfully and said, Amen, I'm sure that's true. And I'm sure Israel is better than Syria because they have the one true God. But he didn't go get in the river. It still wouldn't have done him any good. He could have been as humble as he could ever be, but until he got in that river and dipped seven times, he wouldn't have obeyed, and he wouldn't have been cured of his leprosy. God help us to obey. Yeah. And I'll tell you one other thing about the great and valorous. 
They tend to go to wrong sources for help, don't they? In verse 5, doesn't he go to the king of Syria? And don't they together figure they need to go to the king of Israel? And then when he got to the prophet's place, didn't he think, well, he'll come up and do a great ceremony. And didn't he get mad about just getting in the muddy river? But boy, when it actually worked, all of a sudden he had a big change of heart. The man of God had to hear and send for him for him to get any help and instruct him further. Even the political ruler of God's chosen people was powerless to help. They can't believe it is so simple. In the New Testament, he that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. That's, what in the world could be simpler than that? All one-syllable words. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Isn't that wonderfully simple? Yes, it is. Stop going to anybody else for your help. You, you, do you need some self-help? That's a hobby of mine, is the self-help material. I've read it for years and years, decades at this point. Let me tell you the best self-help self you'll ever find. The book of Proverbs in a King James Bible. That's true. That's the son of Solomon. That's a, for Solomon from Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. David was a man's man, and Solomon was a lady's man. I don't care if you're rich or poor. I don't care if you're male or female. I don't care if you're old or young. I don't care who you are. He's got it. He's got the stuff you need. Amen. Nobody knew men more than David, and nobody knew women more than Solomon. Amen. Do I paint a correct picture, or do I exaggerate? You know what you can find there? You can find self-help that the world can't touch. Today, what did we look at? We read the story of Nahum, captain of the host of the king of Syria. According to God's record, this isn't my opinion, this is God's word, he was the following things. He was great. He was honorable. He was mighty in valor. But all of his greatness and honor and might could not cure his leprosy any more than your hard work and money that you've earned can cure your hypocrisy yeah. or lust or deceit or whatever your sin is. In fact, there was no cure. Only a miracle could help. That's what it took. And that's what he got. I don't care how great you are, and I believe there's some great people here. I really do. I think there's some hardworking, okay. loving, good people here at Victory Baptist Church. But you've got two or three, well, actually more, <laughs> but at least two or three outstanding things that you really need some help with, don't you? Oh, yeah. Let's just be honest. Do we not have some flaws in our character? Yeah. And in the sight of a holy God, aren't they worse than just a sickness like leprosy? Yeah. Let me tell you what to do. Go to the God can work miracles and ask him to make a change in you in 2024. Number one, if you need to trust the Lord as your Savior, obviously make sure you're saved so you don't burn in hell in the lake of fire forever. That's number one, isn't it? Number two, make sure you're in fellowship with God. And let me tell you what knocks you out of fellowship with God. Sin. Yes. In 2024, let's do this. 
let us lay aside every weight and the sin which just so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is set down on the right hand of the Father. That would be a great life plan, wouldn't it? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you'll take these truths and